We make a fairly big deal um, out of birthdays. I don't know how your family does it or how you as an individual do it, but it's possible that you celebrate your birthday, you know, for a day. Some people celebrate their birthday for a week. It's possible that you've stretched that out to a whole birthday month's worth of celebration. Um, but if you go to Google and you just, you just try to figure out how many people have ever lived on planet Earth, the number that you're going to get is somewhere between 80 and 100 billion individuals. So I don't want to ruin your special day, <clears throat> but you're sharing that with some folks. Even if you just take the about 8 billion people that make up Earth's current population. There's only one individual who's ever lived whose birthday uh, the entire globe stops to celebrate. And that's Jesus, who we gather to celebrate today. Um, my wife has a, a fairly large family. Uh, she's one of five. Her dad is one of six. Um, and so we had not been together too terribly long, and I was still sort of in the stage of like knowing, ev getting the names right of everybody in the family and who goes with who. Um, and I met her grandma Claudine for the first time. She was turning 84 years old, and we got together for a birthday party for her, and her whole family got together at Stone Canyon Pizza. And everyone is there. Grandma Claudine, uh, just a little more on the soft-spoken and, and quiet side. We're there the entire time. Everybody ha has a wonderful time. And at the end of uh, our time together, as everybody's packing up, she says quietly, but to the whole group, she says, uh, thank you for coming to my pizza party. Uh, so thank you for coming to Jesus' pizza party here tonight. Um, the, one, the one birthday that the globe stops to recognize. Now, the Bible actually records seven miraculous births. Sarah, Abraham's wife, gives birth to Isaac, though she could not conceive and was actually beyond what would be childbearing age. And then Isaac's wife, Rebecca, gives birth to Jacob and Esau. Jacob's wife, Leah, also unable to conceive, gives birth to Joseph, a man named Manoah, whose wife is actually unnamed in the book of Judges, is unable to conceive and gives birth to Samson. A woman named Hannah spends uh, at least once a year at the temple every year pleading to be able to have a child and eventually gives birth to Samuel. Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist, though she had been unable to conceive. And then there's Mary, the wife of Joseph, who gives birth to Jesus. And to this day, his is the birth that we still celebrate. The reason behind that being that his miraculous birth put an exclamation point on humanity's long wait for a child who would do what no other child could possibly do, which is save his people from their sin. And so I just want to reflect on Jesus's birth a bit. In fact, using much of the story that we've heard up to this point. The first piece that I'd like for us to consider is that Jesus's birth is a historical fact. One unique aspect of Christianity is that the whole thing, start to finish, is rooted in history. Luke says that it was in the sixth month that the angel Gabriel visited Mary. We're also told that 
Quirinius is ruling in Syria. Caesar Augustus is the emperor of Rome. Herod is the king of Judea. That Mary and Joseph travel while the first registration during Quirinius's reign has been called. And the gospel writers are just as clear with the historical rootedness of Jesus's death. He comes into Jerusalem on the Passover. He's arrested at night, convicted at daybreak, hung on a cross, darkness falls from noon until three, at which point Jesus breathes his last. His body is taken by a man named Joseph of Arimathea, placed in a tomb. On the third day at daybreak, Mary and a group of women arrive at the tomb only to discover that the body is not there. You see, Christian belief is a belief in historical events. To be saved is to believe that at a point in history, just over 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus was born. That 33 years later, that same man was crucified. That he was laid in a tomb and on the third day, he resurrected, that 40 days after that, he ascended into heaven, that right now he's seated at the right hand of God in heaven, and that one day in the future, he will come back bodily and take his people to be with him. And so we get together to celebrate his birthday. And you say, well, my birthday's rooted in historical fact, Tim, to which I say, yeah, but his is different than yours, because this historical fact changes history. The Christmas celebration is a proclamation that 2,000 years ago, a long-expected child made his entrance into the world. And the Christmas celebration marks the splitting of history into two eras, about 4,000 years of humanity longing for the seed of the woman, Eve, who would come and crush the head of the serpent, the one who brought sin into the world. Then the birth of Jesus, and now 2,000 years of celebrating the fact that he's the one that finally did it. Crushed the head of the serpent. The birth of Jesus is a particular event. And what I mean by that is that Christmas is not a celebration of some like general idea or some general happening. It's a historical event, but it's a historical event that took place at a particular time in a particular place, giving birth to a particular person. In fact, the entire story of Jesus's birth is trying to place the whole thing within a concrete setting. The angel Gabriel visits Mary at Nazareth because that's where she lives. Quirinius is the governor of Syria. Mary and Joseph travel to Bethlehem, because that's where the line of Joseph had to go to register for the census. There are shepherds in a field nearby. There are magi, or wise men, who travel from the far east. Eventually, Mary and Joseph have to flee with Jesus to Egypt. Jesus is a first century Middle Eastern man of Jewish descent. The specific birth of Jesus. It's not an abstract reality. It's a particular event. The birth of a specific child at a specific time in a specific place. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, ministering in Israel, crucified in Jerusalem. And you say, I'm a particular person. Why doesn't the world stop to celebrate my birthday? To which I would say, yeah, you're just not quite the same as he is. Because his particular event has universal impact. The ripples from this history-changing event are not contained to the first century Middle East. They go outward and have universal impact in such a way that all of time and space are forever altered by the entrance of God into the world. On this day, on every continent, in nearly every country, some 2,000 years after this historical fact and particular event, people gather to celebrate one birth. 
the birth of Jesus Christ. Born in a particular time and place, but forever altering all things in all places. The birth of Jesus is a material event. Here's what I mean by that. I mean that it involves the stuff that we all understand because it takes place in our material world. Mary's a teenage girl. Joseph is a young man. They're betrothed or engaged to be married. Mary has a nine-month pregnancy. She delivers a child in the same way that women have delivered children for generations. They've got a family who's invested in their lives and in their pregnancy. They travel a great distance but can't find any guest room to stay in, so they end up in what essentially amounts to a stable for animals. There are shepherds nearby who end up coming over. They probably smelled like sheep. There are magi who travel from a long ways, and they get there sometime later, and they bring with them real gifts, expensive, probably more luxurious than anything Mary and Joseph have ever had in their entire lives. And when you put your whole little nativity set together there on your coffee table at home, the whole thing is a little crowded and claustrophobic. Right now on Melody's side of the family, we have five uh, nieces and nephews, five in the grandkid generation. And four of them are of the age so that when one person opens a present, it's actually five people that open a present. You sit down with your Christmas gift on your lap and there are eight extra hands helping you open it. It's material, tactile, something that we all understand and experience. John tells us that Jesus takes on flesh. Christopher Watkin, an author, says the best that we can say is that the flesh Jesus took on was no different than any other human flesh. His heart was like your heart, his lungs like your lungs, his brain like your brain. No doubt he caught common colds. He experienced teething, growing pains. He got dirt under his fingernails. He sweat in hot weather and was equally susceptible to all of the other stresses and strains of embodied living. You say, that sounds a lot like my life, Tim. To which again, I would say, not really at all. Because this material reality changes ultimate reality. For all the similarities and material sameness of that child and this birth, his is categorically different. This child changes ultimate realities in, no, in a way that no other human being could. He is God come into the world. Omnipotent creator of all things, becoming impotent child. All-knowing, becoming know-nothing. Infinite, becoming an infant. Timelessness, entering into time. The king of kings, laying in a feeding trough. All that power come to put an end to that which humanity is powerless to stop. You see, this is not just any child. Jesus is the seed of the woman, Eve, who has come to crush the head of the serpent, who's vexed humanity since the garden. He's the new Adam who will be victorious in all of the ways that the first Adam failed. He's salvation from sin for all of eternity. He is light that darkness cannot overtake. He's the fulfillment of promises made throughout generations. He is life and life to the full both here and now and for all of eternity. The birth of Jesus is a historical, particular, material event that's universally changed history and fundamentally altered reality. And you say, why does all of that matter? Because the birth of Jesus is a personal appearance. Jesus is not some generic idea. He's not a hazy spiritual concept or some sort of misty mythological story. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, God did not become an idea, a principle, a program, or a universally valid belief or system of beliefs. God became a person. 
Luke says that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. For all the wonder of who Jesus would be and what he would do that night in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago, Mary and Joseph looked down at a tiny little human swaddled in their arms. The birth of Jesus is God coming into the world in human form, which would raise a logical question. Well, Tim, humanity over time has pictured God in many different ways. So which God is he? Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's that God come into the world that he created. Exodus said that during the Exodus event, God led the Israelite people in a pillar of cloud by day, in a pillar of fire by night. He's that God come into the world. In the book of 2 Samuel, when they build the temple in Jerusalem, they bring the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies, and the priests are standing there ministering when all of a sudden the cloud of the Lord's glory descends upon the Holy of Holies, and we're told that the smoke in the cloud was so dense that the priests could no longer do their activities there. That God has come in human form. Isaiah, before he gives his prophecy, has a vision of the Lord in which he says, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne and the hem of his robe filled the temple. He's that God come into the world. He's the God of creation, the God of the flood, the God of the Passover, the God of the Exodus, the God of the crossing of the Red Sea, the God of the crossing of the Jordan River. He's the God who made a nation from a man who had nothing and could have no children, who then delivered that nation from slavery, who embarrassed the false gods of Egypt, who toppled the walls of Jericho with the simple sound of a trumpet blast, and who raised an army of dead bones. He's that God come into this world. A personal appearance within the world he created and sustains. A history-altering appearance within the time that he directs and moves forward. Is it any wonder why in a field nearby, angels would burst into praise? Well, that seems like the least you could do if that God was coming into this place. And the best news of the whole thing is that those angels say that this is a personal appearance that's for all people. The angel proclaims good news to the shepherds. Good news that will be for all people, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, people from every continent and every country, people from every city, every village, every town, every neighborhood, every street, and every household, every race, every ethnicity, every socioeconomic class, every career type and every life stage, every person who seems like they were born with a golden spoon in their mouth, every person who seems possibly catch a break and every single person in between. It's good news for people in every emotional state and in every life season. It's good news for every person who thinks they're moral but is willing to admit that they fall short and it's good news for every person who knows they're not moral and is willing to repent. Everyone is welcome to the celebration of the historical, particular, material, personal appearance of God in the world. Everyone is beckoned to reckon with the coming of God into the world that he created. Everyone is invited to stand in awe at the cradle of Christ, to look forward to the cross of Christ, to receive by faith the costly grace of Christ that one day you might surround the throne of Christ. You need only simple faith. Simple faith in the historical, particular, material, personal appearance of Jesus who came to win victory over darkness and salvation from sin. Theologian Herman Boving says Christ is most unlike any other religious leader because he's not the founder of Christianity, 
nor the first confessor, nor even the first Christian. Rather, he is Christianity itself in its preparation, presentation, fulfillment, and consummation. And so if you would consider yourself someone who's not a follower of Jesus, I would invite you to consider this historical event. Did it happen or did it not? Did this specific man actually live, actually do the things that scripture said that he did when it says that he did them? Did he actually die the death that scripture says that he died? Because if that actually happened, then ultimate reality is fundamentally changed. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I would invite you to never get tired of the wonder of that story. That very God would come into the world, live a life that you could not live, die a death that he did not deserve, resurrect from the grave on the third day, ascend to the right hand of the Father, and now sit there and plead on your behalf until one day he comes back to take you to be with him. The day that we get tired of that story, church, is the day that we lose influence and impact in the world. But so long as the souls of the church are aflame with the beauty of the gospel story, then the gospel will go out to the ends of the earth.